0: You asked for these, and I thought maybe you were crazy, but we did it. And in case you're wondering, stay tuned, and I'll tell you what it is. Hi, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation. And along with my friend Jay Allen, Safety FM, we've produced three audible versions of my books. You can listen now if you get your information while you drive down the road or sit on a plane. These books are available. Workplace Fatalities, The Five Principles of Human Performance, and my first book, Simple Revolutionary Acts, are all on Audible now. Take some time if you want and download and enjoy listening to the dulcet tones of Todd Conklin reading his own stuff in as slow a fashion as he possibly can we can all run into issues some issues we will discuss with friends and maybe family but some items are so personal that we don't want to discuss with anyone and we just want to handle them ourselves what issues am i talking about i am talking about issues with credit imagine being able to work on your credit report from the comfort of your own home no weird salesperson telling you to dispute everything just straightforward no nonsense on what to do step-by-step to work on your credit report. This is not just a credit education service, but it's also a community of other like-minded individuals having the same struggles. For more information, go to issueswithcredit.com. The Issues with Credit community will be with you every step of the way. Issueswithcredit.com, a 13th hour solution venture. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida, here is your host to Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. they are consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. I have to tell you, I'm going crazy with this microphone stand, and I know this is the second week in a row that I'm mentioning the same thing. Anyways, how are you doing today? Things are going fantastic in this neck of the woods. So today, we're going to do something a little bit different, and let me tell you what exactly I have going on. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity on being interviewed on the Accidental Safety Pro, hosted by Jill James, which I'm sure you've heard on Safety FM. The radio station portion so today i am going to give you that interview for you can hear it as i am being interviewed which is very awkward because i'm just not accustomed to being in that situation so this will be the safety fm version (laughs) and i'll say that jokingly Of the interview, of course, keep in mind that anytime that you're being interviewed, depending on how it's done They change the way that things are edited and not that they did anything wrong But I just want you to hear the version that I have and what you're going to listen to here If you choose to of course is you're going to hear the interview in its entirety I don't really edit anything out. I just want you to take a listen to the conversation between Jill James and myself So hopefully if you haven't heard it you'll be able to hear this version. And if you have heard it, you'll hear a different version. So depending on how you want to look at it, besides that, not much going on on this side, as we spoke last week or on Friday in particular, summer's right around the corner, pretty much enjoying that getting ready here. It gets hot as heck here in good old Florida during that time. And it rains a lot. So it's a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Besides that, I'm actually going to be out on the road quite a bit over the next little bit. So if you are out and about, make sure that you stop by, we contact and do something from there. Over the next few weeks, we have some pretty interesting people coming on to the good old podcast and broadcast, like I like to say. And hopefully you'll enjoy some of these things that are coming up. Some pretty interesting interviews coming up. Anyways, let's get you started with the interview. Of the interview here on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM.
1: This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute, episode number 23. My name is Jill James, Vivid's chief safety officer, and today I'm joined by Jay Allen, who is a safety professional and the creator of Safety FM. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you. So, Jay, this is kind of a first for you. Usually you are the one interviewing guests for Safety FM, but we're turning the tables today. Are you ready?
0: No, I think I'm about as ready as I can be. It's it's a, definitely a different approach, but we'll see how this goes.
1: Oh, well, I'm so happy to have you here and I know it's uh, we've sort of been doing a little bit of arm twisting to get Jay on the other side of the, <laughs> on the other side of the microphone. So Jay, you are a safety professional and you have never told me your story in the times that we've spoken, and so I am very interested for you to share your story not only for my curiosity, but for our guests as well. Um, how did you get into safety and where did it all start? Because I'm guessing it's a winding path like everybody else.
0: Well, being on the Accidental Safety Pro, it happened by accident, as you can assume. (laughs) It was pretty interesting because I was actually an operations person for a long period of time for a transportation company. And we actually outsourced to, we'll say, independent contractors. And we had an issue out in the Seattle market with one of our independent contractors that who was involved inside of a vehicle accident. As this vehicle accident had occurred, we ended up injuring somebody in another vehicle that led to a fatality. Mm-hmm. And that right there, that occurrence, when that happened, I started looking at, well, maybe the whole revenue side is not as important as people getting home safely. And that really what started my career path and really looking at safety At the time, I didn't realize that that was really what I was focusing on. I was just more like, oh, we need to get people home. But I wasn't looking at it as safety only. I was looking at, let's do a a combination of both, but really started leaning heavily towards safety, but didn't realize it until probably about a couple of years later down the road.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so... Talk about that operations job that you had. How did you how did you get into operations and how long were you in that before this event happened that sort of changed your tra- trajectory?
0: Well, the funny part was I was actually involved with a pretty large electronic company. And I won't say them by name, but they sometimes wear blue and yellow. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but... I I had actually worked for them and they started to outsource a lot of the the stuff that they were doing internally. So what I did was there was a company that came about and said, would you be interested in handling some of our operations? And I had already been with this blue and yellow company um, for Mm -hmm. roughly about almost six years. And I decided to go ahead and go to this other company doing the transportation side. Mm -hmm. And I, I was there and I was based out of Miami, Florida, which is the funny part, but my region covered from Miami, Florida to Tennessee, um, Portland, Oregon and um, Seattle, Washington, which I still don't understand how that's a territory, but that's how they, that's how they worked it out. That's how they worked it out. So I did a lot of traveling at the time. And so as I'm doing the traveling, I was probably about a year into working for that organization. When this event occurred, I was up to actually um, assist at a location that was supposed to be covering somebody's vacation for probably about four days. And this four-day trip ended up becoming a 19-day trip because of everything that was involved and everything that had occurred. And Mm -hmm. it was a catastrophe in regards of, of course, anytime that you have any kind of involvement where somebody's dead, you know, it's crucial and it changes the organization. And the way that we looked at it because we were, number one, a third-party vendor, then number two, our our logo or the logo for the company that we were representing was all over the news and we had Mm -hmm. shut down the 405. So it became very wow. interesting in regards of now we have all this media attention and it's bad attention. Let's just be realistic. And it's like, what parts could we do to correct it? And keep in mind that when you're dealing from a third party vendor standpoint, they don't look at the third party vendor. They're looking at the person who has the logo on the side of the vehicle. Right. So that was portion of what did we do wrong and what could we do to correct our processes to make sure that we're doing things correctly that we don't have a a similar issue going forward now keep in mind error is going to occur but -hmm. how can we avoid these catastrophic failures Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. yeah and you were looking at it from a couple of different angles it sounds like i mean not only the the negative brand recognition um, but really hitting you in the heart of someone had a loss of life here
0: Right. And the interesting part was I went out to the scene of the incident and why I'm standing there at the scene. And i at this point, I don't understand anything about accident investigations or anything along those lines. So I'm standing there just as a person to try to provide information to the, you know, to the cops and to the the medical people that are there. And as we're going through the discussions, the person's parent showed up. And as I'm standing there, the parent turns around and says, my kid's girlfriend is pregnant and she's eight months along the road. And I'm not trying to go dark here, but this just kind of added a whole other level yeah. into the whole thing. And as I sat there, I was like, we're definitely doing this wrong. What can we do to correct these matters going forward? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And and how was how was your driver? Did the driver um, survive?
0: Well, the interesting portion about it is dealing with independent contractors. If you're not vetting the whole process correctly, you can run into some problems. And the way that the home delivery business works is you normally have a what we call, quote unquote, a driver and then an assistant that's inside of the vehicle with them. Well, on this particular day, no one caught it. And it wasn't a driver and assistant. It was two assistants that were in there, but one decided to drive. And so he was not, quote unquote, a qualified driver. So sure. this opened a whole other can.
1: Right, right. <laughs> a lot of layers here. Oh yes. Yeah, a lot of layers. This, um, yeah, the story that you're telling sounds familiar to an experience that I had in a previous job as well, where a driver was involved in a, in an in an accident with um on on a roadway. Same same sort of situation, and the I ended up, you know, helping the driver who was involved in the accident. Um, and PTSD from what had happened, as a result, um, for him personally as the driver. So a different angle. Um, in it, you know, in addition to what you're talking about, um, that's why I was asking about the driver and what happened. So interesting there. So Jay,
0: <laughs> I know. Where do you go from there? I mean, I yeah, know. Is it- right? Where do we go? <laughs>
1: right? It- I mean, there's just like there's so many elements when it comes to safety. You know, people often ask, like, what does a safety professional do in a day? Well, you know, we we just ticked off a whole bunch on a list of like all the different pieces, parts and fingers that impact day to day safety things. <laughs> and you're an operations person at the time, not even a safety person. So what happened? What happened next? You're, you're standing there. You're with your fam, with that family. You're hearing all of these stories and you're like, hey, I'm the operations guy. I'm not the safety guy. What? Yeah, what took
0: off? Well that's, the, well, that's the interesting part because keep in mind that we're still um, interacting as a third-party vendor. So we have to contact our primary customer to let them know what's going on. Or mm-hmm. s- we have to turn around and say, this just occurred. I'm sure if you turn on the news, everybody and their brother knows at this particular moment what's going on. And then, we're, then I'm reporting back to my company of, this is what's going on. We need some kind of insurance representative, an investigator, or we can have our side of what exactly occurred. Right. And- it becomes more and more interesting, and I, and I thought about this years years later about, when you look at the whole scenario, do you look at it as, was the, the, what we'll call the assistant in the wrong for trying to get the, the work accomplished? Mm-hmm. Or was he in the right for doing everything possible to get the work accomplished? So it's one of those weird catches on how you have to look at it, and it's all about perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. So what happened next for your career?
0: Well, the interesting part is that I'm still involved with operations, but I really start looking at operations as a whole. I'm still interested, but safety is really kind of laying heavy on my heart. And I start really getting engaged with another organization that was similar to this blue and and yellow one, Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they wore mostly red and no longer in business. Um, But but I started interacting with them, but they let me do some safety things that I wanted to do inside of their transportation side of the company. Mm -hmm. So I started laying those out. And as I was able to lay those out, I kind of saw where things started to change in regards of we're safety minded, but still have operations. So as I drove that forward, we were able to incorporate things. But then, of course, the bad thing occurs. The market does a shift and goes we don't like this company that wears red that looks so much like this blue and yellow company so they ended up folding We're done. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they end up folding so what i ended up doing is i start doing my own consulting company and i start interacting with companies that do transportation using okay. this scenario of what occurred with my mm-hmm. pre- with one of my previous employers and then trying to go if we have these issues how can we correct them And it had become something very interesting as as I went down the path because companies were open to ideas, but not so open when it came to some third-party vendors. Sometimes they wanted somebody who had name recognition. At that particular portion, I'm I'm relatively young, let's see. I want to say at at the, I'm probably 28, 29. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little kid, so how they're viewing it. And I'm going into these very large, large established organizations and they're looking at me going, How is this kid going to know better than I do?
1: Right. So
0: it it was interesting trying to to get that information out. So I really started tying into, I'll say, quote unquote, established people within the industry that would allow me to learn their methodology in regards of how they were actually bringing forward the information on when they were discussing with people from the line level. And we didn't get a lot of C-level people, but we got a lot of directors and regional people at the time.
1: Sure. And, and so you were you were, were essentially being an entrepreneur but um trying to teach yourself at the same time by working through these established
0: organizations right and when you have somebody who's established and will use some of the big name um let's say electronic companies that also sell other things that used to be very popular at the mall that mm-hmm. are still around but kind of struggling uh, they, they don't really want to hear the or at the time they didn't want to hear the the younger person's perspective because they didn't have as much influence or knowledge from their from the way that they brought it forward
1: right so what did you do to build your your street cred at that time as a young person I mean how how did you how did you find a win for yourself
0: well the fun part was that I I found this gentleman that was an older gentleman that was kind of in the twilight of his career and he had a lot of connections with people inside of that industry of transportation Mm -hmm. and he let me really kind of sit at his footstep in regards of really being able to learn and understand some of the concepts of the business. And I'm talking more along the operation side and how these items could be tied in. Not so, We won't say quote unquote so much from safety, but it was more along the lines of how can it be a financial benefit to an organization for them to go ahead and say, okay, this might make sense because in the back end, you could save us X.
1: Yeah. And you were, you were leaning into your operations, um, discipline then and being able to, like, how can I apply this?
0: Right. And what I understood at the time is I had a degree in broadcasting, which has nothing to do with transportation and definitely had nothing to do with the retail market. But I knew that I could package things at the time from an audio content that I could understand that when I'm standing in front of someone where I could actually change their mind. I I normally refer to it at the time as theater of the mind in regards of of how you're actually drawing the story. It's just kind of this thing about like the old days of radio, the golden age of radio. You didn't really have a TV show. You sat around your radio and you were listening to a story. And if you could develop that story as you were telling it to people, they were very interested in what you had to say.
1: So you were able to leverage your broadcasting background to do that story, but except it was in front of a live studio audience every time, right?
0: <laughs> right. And in, in the, the first few times of actually doing something in front of people, when you're used to sitting behind a microphone where you don't get to interact, let's say, quote unquote, with people in person, um, it becomes yeah. very intriguing on how that works because you see the, the reaction on the face and how are they going to absorb the information and are you going down the right path when they make the face? So it's, it was interesting at first. I, I kind of chuckled, but looking back at it now and I'm like, I should have taken more public speaking classes at the time, but <laughs> that was back then.
1: It's a totally different experience when you can see and feel the energy of your audience. Absolutely. And you have to change on, yeah, you have to adapt and change or you're (laughs) syncing. So let's back up because our audience has just heard you say you have a broadcasting degree. And anyone who's listening to your voice right now who's been thinking, man, that guy has a voice for radio. Uh-huh. Well, what I normally yes, tell yes, you do.
0: what I tell so, people is I have a face for radio. I don't have a voice for radio. I have a face for radio. <laughs> so that's how that works. Now, the funny part was I tell a lot of people I have the voice that sounds like this because my parents spent a lot of money to get me to have my voice developed in this particular pattern. Um, no way. <laughs> yeah. Well, <that's... laughs>
1: okay. Let Let's stop there. How do How do parents develop their child's voice? I want to hear this. Story.
0: Well, they sent me to college and they let me change major five times without trying to kill me. So this is. <laughs> For sure, how this voice ended up turning this way.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and so, you you went to college, you got a broadcasting degree, and then you ended up in operations. How did that happen?
0: Well, that's a, that's the fun part because at the time I was doing my degree to get my broadcasting degree, but I was going through school, but I was making enough money in the in the private sector where it didn't make sense to me just to go into broadcasting full time. So I did it did it from a part time aspect. And p- people would make me job offers, but I was like, eh. at the time I was so young, I was more hung up on the money than what I was for the experience. Not thinking, hey, the experience is what's going to guide me down the path. So I kept on return, I kept on turning down positions and I would just go, okay, I've been working here as I was going through college. So I'll just stay doing the same thing. Not realizing that I was not advancing the career that my parents helped pay for <laughs> and what I wanted to do in the long run.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> but you know, it sounds like, very inventive, Jay, and in how you, how you pulled this career together, which I'm guessing is still an evolution to this day, you know, creating theater of the mind and winding safety into it. That's fantastic. So what happened, what happened next? Cause I'm guessing, uh, you know, you said you, you continued, you found this mentor, you were working still with, um, electronics industry, but you know that's kind of waning as well industry wise so what where did your path lead next
0: well I'm still continuing down the path of doing transportation the mentor has really has started to decide to pull back a little bit he's getting to he's getting a little bit older and he doesn't want to do so much so many things where we're sharing information he's more of, I want to be able to establish my company so far and well that I'm able to sell it, which I totally understand. So, yeah. the, so we don't mentor. He doesn't mentor me as much going forward, but he did it for a year, so I can't say anything bad. It was a great experience the whole mm-hmm. time. So I decided to go. I decide to say, hmm, maybe the consulting thing's not for me, and I decide to go directly back in to the aspect of just doing operations. So I go to another transportation company, and I'm just doing operations from the standpoint of. Let's establish what we like ground level stuff. I'm going into this organization and I'm opening brand new locations where they're dropping me inside of these towns. I have, depending on where I was at, six to 12 weeks to have absolutely nothing. I start off with nothing. So I have to find a warehouse, find the independent contractors and establish the place. And we have a deadline of X. So it's a fun job. Yeah. Yeah. My wife um, really loved that I was gone 90% of the time. Um, It was one of those things that I was like, either I'm going to be married to the road or I'm going to be by myself, one or the other, Uh, Mm -hmm. because I didn't think she was going to stick around with how much time I was actually traveling. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting part was I started to notice more and more that it was very difficult to get independent contractors to understand some of the, we'll say at the time, I didn't know the word, but we'll say safety culture on how it should tie in because, I'm an independent contractor and nothing wrong, nothing wrong about independent contractors, but they treat their stuff as their own business because they're their own separate entity. So it's kind of hard to establish of, Hey, the company that I'm representing, meaning me, Jay Allen does this, this, and this, and this is what we're going to hold you to because you're a totally separate entity. So it becomes very difficult to say, well, this is the minimum guidelines. But you're an independent contractor and you're not an employee, so it's that very fine line of employee employer. Mm -hmm. So
1: (laughs) yeah, so you you had to get you had to become masterful at explaining that um, employer employee relationship piece and the multi employer worksite policy that OSHA likes to talk about (laughs) often because it's a thing. I mean, it's a thing, and people sort of like you said. Like this, I don't work for that company. So I kind of get to do it in my own way. And uh, that's <laughs> not the case.
0: Well, and that's the fun part, because how can you turn around and tell somebody, okay, you need to be here by this time. You need to go do this mm-hmm. kind of work. You need to wear this kind of uniform. Oh, by the way, you're not an employee. You're an independent contractor. Oh, and we're going to hold you accountable for these kind of guidelines. Mm-hmm. It becomes such a, a such a weird spot to be in. But as I did, as I did that, I learned so much about the different industries, and then I really started noticing on what I'll call the psychology of safety, where it became very interesting when you were interacting with people on, you could have the conversation of, what do you do when you see a speed limit sign? And they'll be like, well, I go maybe five miles above the speed limit or 10 miles above the speed limit. And you turn around and go, what happens if you see a police officer around that sign? Well, I'll slow down. And so I started to look at it and I go, well, people want rules but they want rules that are enforced or enforceable. At least at the time, that's what I thought. And my mind has really changed since then. But I looked at it in in regards of, so the behavior is going to drive the way that people do things. And I say, this is what I want to do. I want to get more information about safety, but I don't want to be a safety engineer. Mm -hmm. And I turn around and I go, let's go ahead and go back to school. And I'm (laughs) going to go ahead and go get my doctorate in psychology. And now the school didn't know, <laughs> no, both of my parents were in the Marines, which is kind of funny. And I still <laughs> chuckle about that years later. And it's a, it was a great thing, but they were done with my college adventures. They were pretty much told me that I was on my own going forward. Mm-hmm. Now the interesting part was that the university that I went to had an option of you getting a psychology degree um, or you get a master's or you get a doctorate, but you didn't have to get both, which I was like, this is weird. And it normally is yeah. not the pattern, but I'm just going to go straight for the doctorate and, <laughs> and use that instead. Now, not realizing at the time the amount of work <laughs> that you're gonna have to put into it, which was always the fun part, but the amount of research that went into it. And yeah. and I didn't look at it that from the master standpoint, that if you don't have the masters, that you know, people looked at you and said, Okay, you're a practitioner and you understand academics. Yeah. And when you start getting into the doctorate level, it's more along the lines of you're an academic and you probably don't understand practical as much as somebody who with their master's. And I always go, isn't that funny? I essentially paid all kinds of money to become quote unquote, a scientist.
1: (laughs) You, I have to, I've got to uh, talk about the fact that you had on your show, uh, safety FM, Dr. Todd Lushin, who, uh, PhD as well. And he loves to do talk about research, and so the two of you together must have really geeked out on that episode. And Todd's a dear friend of mine in safety, but um, this is sounding this is sounding familiar to me.
0: <laughs> no, I have to tell you, yes, it was a great, it was a great episode. The funny part was, at the time, I wasn't doing what we'll say, quote unquote, the lifestyle where right now, if you come on to Safety FM, we'll record the moment, we'll record it for the podcast piece, but we're airing it live on the internet stream. But yeah. So at the time that he came on, we weren't doing that yet. So we spent a good 30 minutes before the interview speaking about very interesting stuff but I never told him that I was recording and I felt that it would be wrong on my behalf. If I turned around and said, okay, well, I recorded that, but I'm going to go ahead and air it. Um, but we didn't know that at the time. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a very interesting conversation. If I ever released the director's cut on some of the podcasts that I've done in the past, it might be an interesting conversation for some, oh, um, but we would probably we'd probably still have to edit out some of the companies for sure.
1: <laughs> I bet he would love to have that. What <laughs> makes both of you unique in that regard um, with your with your PhDs in different different disciplines, of course, is that you both have these practical, like you're talking about these practical pieces of your background to be able to apply to this really academic um, education that you that you ended up, you know, taking your career to the next step. You know, so you have your whole background in operations, and Todd, Dr. Todd, has his um, in various other arenas as well, and I think that makes for a really wicked combination wicked meaning in a really good and effective manner so what did you do with that degree
0: well that's been the fun part so I decided that operations I still like but I'm not in love with Mm -hmm. and I really started to focus on interacting with organizations that were safety minded but not safety focused does that make sense
1: Explain the difference.
0: So what I mean is that they understand safety, but they're not solely focused on safety alone. And this is going to sound terrible. So what I would do is I would go into these organizations and do research. I know it's terrible that I say this out loud, (laughs) but I'm able to do research because I know they understand the concept of safety, but then it was, how do I change the mentality and the culture inside of there on them focusing on being safety focused? And- that it was always an interesting concept because on most job interviews at least at that time i wouldn't tell people that i had a phd or that i was even going for it and the reason behind it because i thought that it would throw people off and now that i was trying to be deceiving it was just i didn't want to become that scientist or safety nerd guy right right so as i did that it was interesting just seeing the different aspects on what companies and organizations do and this one I will try not to mention colors letters um, or anything to that extent because I think it would be wrong on my part to do that
1: can't wait to hear what you (laughs) (laughs)
0: learn but it was interesting on when you take a look at what the field people are doing and the way that they do the work compared to what somebody behind a desk tells them to do it becomes something entirely different so uh, they use the concept or a lot of people say the concept Work imagined opposed to the work that's actually performed. Mm-hmm. And the work imagined is great because somebody's sitting inside, inside of an office behind a desk saying, this is how we should do it. But the work being performed is entirely different out there in the field. And as I looked at it, it was that conversation you had with the field people where they turn around and they tell you, this is how we're supposed to train you. But this is how we actually do it. Mm-hmm. And it was entirely different. And I was like, how do we change that mentality from a C level to understand what we're teaching people is not what's being done in the field? And that's right. where a lot of the excitement occurred inside of quite a few organizations.
1: Right. And you know, and I guess I've found that neither one is necessarily right nor wrong. And can and both can learn from one another. Absolutely. However, I have to lean toward the way that it's being performed. If you um, adapt the safety to the way people are doing things, you're gonna have a greater success. Is that what your is
0: that what your research found? Right, and that's exactly it. Now, I'll tell you, I I was in love with behavior based safety, and there's nothing wrong with behavior based safety. It's something where if you're if you need a starting point, that's a great starting point. Mm-hmm. But I the more I looked into it, the more I felt that it was you have a better worker, you'll have a safer environment. And I thought that it was conceptually wrong, but that was from my perspective. And I know people have different points of views and they're perfectly fine. I am just telling you what I'll say, my belief in safety. Yeah, yeah
1: what is it? <laughs> so, yes, please keep so, going with it.
0: So I just want to make sure that, that that's clear because everybody's going to look mm-hmm. at it differently. But as I looked more and more into to the way that it worked, I didn't think that 329 and one was accurate. It I can tell you that when I didn't have common sense, I would be on my phone behind the wheel and go, okay, boom, this makes sense. And I've done this over 300 times and I haven't had any kind of issues or major incidents. And I kept on looking at those numbers and said, mm-hmm. this doesn't seem correct. But then I found the what they call human and organizational performance. And this is a different style of safety. And okay, this <laughs> human and organizational okay. performance. Mm-hmm. And this is something that the Department of Energy created after Three Mile Island occurred. So that's where it gets even more interesting. And the, the main concepts here talk mostly about error is normal, mm-hmm. blame fixes nothing, mm-hmm. your system will drive the behavior of the organization, learning is vital, and how your people inside of the organization to respond, respond matters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you take those five simple concepts And it's a philosophy because it's definitely, you're not building a program around it. It's a philosophy. And if you can do the shift inside of an organization on looking at those five concepts, you might have a better safety system than what most people do that already have something else. Now, keep in mind that if you are running a behavior-based safety system, you have a sunk cost. And this is an enhancement too. I don't ever look at it or go into an organization to go, Get rid of behavior based safety. This makes no sense. No, you have a sunk cost that got you to that point. Now let's just mm-hmm. expand on it. And I think that's what a lot of the research that I did or white papers, as I and tell people, helped me out with in regards to learning that as I was inside of the organizations.
1: Right. It really seems the, the five concept really seems like a um, kind of like a roadmap on like a way to like, every time you have an initiative, an idea, a process uh, whatever it is, like, how do we apply this? Am, am I getting that correctly?
0: Yes. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the funny part that you say that because high performance computing, this is what they use also for programming. Hmm. They look at how this is going to be normal and that there's going to be a problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's the fun part is we try to build out these systems that they're error free and we're driving to zero and hey, hey that's a good, they're, they're great catchphrases, but yeah, right. I think they're you, not real. They're not real. No. Uh, if you have a zero issues for over a year, I think somebody didn't report something. I think uh-huh. that somebody didn't report a near miss, something along those lines. But if you build it into the whole concept of errors normal and yeah. we're going to have a failure, but can we build safeguards in place where the error can occur and our system still works? I think you have a different concept as an organization.
1: Mm-hmm. And the error isn't catastrophic.
0: Absolutely. It's the capacity of being able to accept that the error is going to occur. So if you have an, if you have an incident that occurs, but it falls into that safeguard section, that was a planned event and it went exactly how, how it should. Mm-hmm. And that's a great thing.
1: Yeah. So how did you get to implement these five concepts?
0: Well, that's the fun part, because when you sit there and you start having conversations with people that have put all this money into behavior-based safety, Mm -hmm. it's really driving it from the perspective, depending on the organization, on how can you tie it into process improvement? Because those five concepts are not safety alone.
1: Absolutely. I'm just thinking of (laughs) all, all the different ways we could do this, whether it's just the the, the culture of a company, right, um, including processes and lots of them.
0: And I, at the time I could speak or I could speak lingo that the operations people cared about. So I tied it in from that side and that made it a lot easier to go, well, if it's working here, how can it not work there? Yeah. And then really taking the concept of having the people that are out in the field that are doing the work. And I'm not saying that everything they do is perfect, but they have a good understanding on what's being done and let them teach us as an organization on what we can do better. Mm -hmm. And how you actually respond to that is going to change the trajectory of your company. But you have to have leaders that are open-minded enough to understand and accept the concept. Understanding that you have an accident and you can't run out there and be like, everybody needs to be retrained because this occurred (laughs) and we're having a training tonight at five o'clock in the afternoon. And we're going to say it louder to make sure that everybody understands it because it's not going to change anything.
1: (laughs) Isn't that so true? (laughs) So did you find some leaders who were, um, um, evolved enough to take this on?
0: (laughs) Well, conceptually, there was a lot of people that said, great idea. Let's move forward. But Mm -hmm. then when the error occurred, that's when the conversation would change. And I'm not saying that you can restrict a leader, but it's doing that shift of, can we bring you back and get yeah, you back yeah. into that mental model of what we're trying to portray?
1: Right. And rewiring their brain from their instinctual, this is how you react. Mm-hmm. You, know, we're, you know, this is how we've always reacted to an event, a tragedy, uh, whatever it is. Hmm. So Yeah. So, so, yeah. What, what
0: happened? <laughs> so if we change the way that we look at safety, opposed to it just being safety is the absolute of accidents. And this is a definition that i stole from dr todd conklin and we take a look at it and go safety is not the absence of accidents but is safety is the presence of defenses i think that is a true definition of safety a, a a concept that he talks about a lot is this the car industry especially if you look at volvo in particular they have made the determination that they are aware that people are going to get into car accidents so they make their vehicles with the understanding that you're going to be involved in a car accident at one point or another but they make their vehicles where they say they're fatality proof. And if you do research on Volvo, they haven't had a car accident where someone's died in it over the last three years. Whoa.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> now we all want to buy
0: it. <laughs> I know. I, t- I tell my wife all the time, um, you need to get a Volvo. That's That's where we need to go.
1: Uh (laughs) i'm looking at making a car purchase in the next year so maybe maybe thank you for that anecdote
0: and this was not a sponsorship by volvo just in case (laughs) right (laughs) right but i do have an affiliate link on my website no i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) excellent
1: so tell can do you have a successful story to share on 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 a leader who bought into this
0: well, the thing is that uh, the what the leaders have noticed, you know, and I, I want to tell you the name of the company just for yeah. you to understand, but I can't. That's the problem. Yeah, that's fine. But this this organization is very, very, very well known. And if, oh, I can't even tell you the industry because you'll figure it out so well. Sure. So, so quick. But they took the concepts and took them back into the organization. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not gonna change anything overnight. So I just wanna be right. as realistic as possible because right. it's not a magic bullet, it's not gonna change anything. But they took the concepts and they went back to their board and they said, this is what we're going to implement going forward. And the gentleman was from a foreign country and he, was, he's, he is the CEO of the company and he goes, this is what we're going to establish. We're gonna take a risk on this to see if it could change the trajectory. And being as they had already seen the changes inside of the operation side, they decided we're going to do it in safety. The safety program, yes, it has problems, just like any other safety program, because keep in mind, it's a philosophy. So it's changing the people that are out in the field from understanding, yes, this is what we did in the past, but this is what we're moving from. And we're trying to build around, quote unquote, that we know that there's going to be a problem. And that whole thing of having them self-report was the biggest issue we ran into at the very beginning because it was well what's going to happen during my review if you're telling me that right now it's okay for me to self-report are you going to remember this when my review comes up in three weeks four weeks five months how is that going to affect and it was really having the organizational leader turn around and say no we're going to take a look at it and what happens happens and we're going to learn from it and keep in mind near misreporting error reporting, they're going to go up quite a bit if you go down this concept because you want to have that open and honest conversation. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. And and hopefully you're going to continue seeing severity going down and down
0: and down. Right. But you have to understand that at the very beginning, it's going to spike spike because Mm -hmm. you're going to realize right now, this drive to zero that you might've been practicing Mm -hmm. or working on, Mm -hmm. this is where everything's going to come out of the woodwork and people are going to test it at first. They're going to say, here's one and let's see how you're going to react. And, Mm -hmm here maybe, here's two. And they wanna see your reaction in the moment that if you have a leader lose it, they're gonna turn around and go, okay, hold everything turn back it, because yeah. boom. And then the problem was that when we started to do the change inside of the organization, the majority of the leaders that were there were still being bonused off of how many incidents they had or did not have. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult at the very yeah, beginning.
1: It change a lot of things.
0: Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. very difficult at the very beginning because it was like, well, we want you to report but you're going to affect me financially slash personally because this is going to you know my take home money for my bonus that I might get quarterly, yearly, monthly is going to, is going to to suffer until we have this built into the system because this was a conversation this was a conversation with inside of the organization where the CEO was fine with having the conversation and he ran with me and said we're going to move forward with it and it was mm-hmm. so weird because it was like I didn't expect you to have that kind of response I thought it was going to be. The ramp up, the buildup, Because normally when you're trying to change any kind of culture to this extent, you need to bring in what I call "quote unquote" a big name person or somebody from the outside. They might be saying exactly what your safety person is saying, but they need to hear from somebody else.
1: Yes, I call. I I often tell people you can't be a prophet in your own land. You <laughs> Very have to true. Bring it. You have <laughs> to bring in that prophet, even though you're saying the same dang thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. So did did they end up? changing the way they incentivize the leadership or how did that how did that work well that they weren't incongruent
0: well they essentially ended up changing how that actually was handled and they went more from i won't say a performance base in regards of how they were doing in safety it was more along the lines of they started doing it very shortly and there was a slight failure there where they started saying okay let's do it based off of the amount of near misses that you return and then they called something else the leadership walks which essentially are audits and the amount of audits that you turned in and then that became a weird thing too because you would see the lows and then the, and then the peaks and the valleys and the spikes because they knew that at a certain time it needed to be turned in so it was We'll say it was a learning scenario over two to three years before. I won't say that it was perfect because no system's perfect or no philosophy is perfect. But that where they got it, where they understood. And it was that aha moment of now we feel like we're going into the correct trajectory of what we should be doing. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And so is it uh, what what ended up happening or is it still in process? What sort of um, um, rewards were found?
0: Well the way that I look at it is that this is going to always be an ongoing journey. I don't think that you ever get to a to a portion where you're you're the safest company on the planet. Now, somebody might be able to deem you with that title, but it's something that you're always going to learn. But on. but it's it's the even the way that the interviews are conducted now is so different because you go into this organization and they talk a little bit about human and organizational performance during the interview. Now, you don't understand that that's what's going on during the interview but it's one of those things where they're making sure that you understand basic foundations before I bring in. it it was just great to see overall.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on that. That (laughs) sounds like a fantastic success story. And if, if our guests who are listening, if they've not heard of human organizational performance, including these five concepts you were talking about, what resources might be, you direct them to if they if they want to dig into
0: this a little more well they want to dig into it a little bit more depending on how little and how much of course the department of energy has volume one and volume two that's available and that's for a free download from their website and then there's mm-hmm. different, there's other organizations that are out there you can go to safetydifferently.com, not owned by me by the way just wanted to make reference to that mm-hmm. and then um dr todd conklin who i did reference a little bit earlier he has some pretty interesting books out there um titled one titled "The Pre-accident Investigation," and then there is another book called "The Five Principles of Human Performance." They're they're interesting books. At least you'll start getting in understanding the concepts of how this actually ties in.
1: Mm, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm sure our guests are going to be looking into those resources.
0: But I had to, uh, to give Car Blanche on there because I know that I mentioned that Todd Conklin book. Uh, there is an audio format of it, and I edited that book, uh, um, or I produced it in the audio format. So if you hear my voice on there, that was not the reason I mentioned it.
1: Understood. <laughs> uh, Dr. Conklin is is well-known in, in the safety arena. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what happens with the career next, and when does Safety FM enter into the mix?
0: Well, the funny part was that I noticed that this worked inside of an organization, and I said, hmm. This is something I'm not going to say that we can repackage and sell, but I know that there's other organizations that need it. So I decide that I'm going to shift from being just a, at a location where I want to turn around and do just, you know, normal work every day. I want to go out and help different organizations because this organization that I'm working for, I'm will say, quote unquote, the regional director at the time, or what did they title it? The regional director of safety. So I'm overseeing multiple states and I think, oh, there's so many other people that might be interested in this. So I started becoming a safety consultant and decided that, you know, these are the concepts that I can go out there and use. And then I noticed that the fastest way to get to people, especially as of late is podcasting. It's podcasting and really being able to get information out there. And I was like, is there really a big market For people that want to listen to safety podcast. And I pulled up some and I was like, yeah, they're interesting. But then I looked at it and I went, but there's nothing that's being done in what I call quote unquote, the radio fashion or the radio aspect of, Mm -hmm. of doing safety. And I said, what if I went down that particular path and we start an internet radio station and we do the podcast just to see if we get people to respond. Well, I was surprised. Um, I thought we were just going to get maybe a couple hundred people, and I was way off my rocker. We got thousands of people to show up um, to listen to our podcast and to listen to our radio station. And it's just been amazing just in regards to the response, the people that are on there. And because we were able to develop it in a radio show format, Mm -hmm. we've had great people and great hosts such as yourself that have allowed us to take your podcast and re-air them on Safety FM. And it's great because it's not just me talking because that can get kind of old relatively quick, but it gives you different concepts. So you'll listen to somebody maybe in the morning and they might be able to, they might be talking about VPP and you might talk to listen to somebody in the afternoon and they might be talking about behavior based safety. Because what I want it to be is I want it to be one stop shop in regards to if you can listen to all things safety, but it doesn't have to only be the version of safety that I believe in. I want it to be different points of views of safety in different arenas, because it doesn't make sense if I sit around and I talk to you about transportation safety all day, where if somebody talks to you about mechanical failures and mechanical safety, I just wanted it to be so different. And I wanted people from different walks of lives besides being the host, but the guests that are on the episodes.
1: Yeah. And Jay, and why do you think, I mean, I have my own theory on this, but why do you think it became so successful? that safety people flock to information?
0: Well, I think that what happens is people want to go in, get some information and be able to jump out and not have to sit through some long courses. And now that's my opinion. And then you have to also notice that our little safety industry, the demographic is changing. And I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say, old people need to leave because it needs to be done. And it's all about the millennials. Because sometimes when I start talking, people think that that's what I'm saying. But we have a lot of people that are retiring out of this yeah. and we have a lot of new people that are coming in and you have to actually source the information to the way that they receive it currently. I'm going to tell you, I'm not the best podcaster. I'm not the best radio host, but I'm able to get information to people in the format that they want it. And I try to bring brand recognition for for some of the people that are on for people to go, okay, well, today we had somebody on and this person was from Tesla. Well, I know Tesla. I like the Tesla car. I know they have a battery system. Well, boom, let's hear what Tesla does. And that's just an example. And it's just be able to get in, get out. And I think that that's what's caused some people to be interested in it. And it's just weird because there's so many people wanting information. And I'm sure you you go through the same thing. The amount of people that I interact with on a weekly basis just contact me and saying, hey, I heard this on your podcast. Could you give me more information or more direction? In regards to where can I obtain more information. And I think it's great because I don't I don't want to just be a a place, but I also want to be a reference on where you can come and go. I might not have the answer because there's no way I can answer everything about safety, but I can give you general guidance or direction on where you can go to obtain the information. Mm-hmm. What's your thought process on it?
1: Yeah, so when you use the term little safety industry, I think that's, I think that's really where it's at. You know, we do have a pretty small profession, all things considered. I mean, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Be great to know, like, how many safety professionals are there in North America? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that would be interesting. But but we're a tight knit group, and you know, so many of us solo operators need people to share information with us, and we're always looking for something. And I think you absolutely hit on the next iteration of safety professionals. And you're right. People are retiring out of the industry. And, and you know, there's a bit of a shortage by way of safety professionals. And we have this new, this new um, demographic that's joining us. And they happen to be very technology savvy, which I think is why these podcasts are landing with them. And they also happen to be really business savvy as well. And I'm not sure why that's the case, but it seems to be um, maybe a shift in in safety professionals as it is. And I I just want to be connected. I know when um, when we came up with this uh, podcast, the Accidental Safety Pro, it came as a result of a request by our focus group. We have a focus group um, with learning systems and we're talking about, you know, what do safety professionals need? How can we support them right now? And the resounding, um, the resounding request was, we just need to be connected to one another because we're, you know, sort of islands often. And we go to the conferences. Some people get to go to conferences. And when you do, you know, you're kind of mired in the business of the conference and learning what you can learn, but you don't get to connect with other safety practitioners to find out how do they actually do this work. And, um, And others just don't have the ability to go to conferences because of cost or it's becoming, you know, possibly outmoded in some industries. And so the request was, let's start a podcast so that we can share information with one another and, you know, dip into it, like you say, on your own time, in your own way and meet you where you are um, on topics that interest you in, in your work. And so that's my take on it. And maybe that's similar to Sounds like it's similar to yours.
0: Well, I think it's funny that you mentioned it that way. Cause I also remember your, one of your first episodes when you were talking about the focus group and you turned around and you said that you decided to do a podcast and you had to tell people inside of your group of what is a podcast?
1: Well, actually they had to tell me.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. They had to tell me. Oops, sorry. Said,
1: right. The focus group said podcast. And I'm like, uh, what is that? I know what a webcast is, but I don't know what a podcast is. And you know my um, my my marketing department was you know very instructive. Jill, this is what a podcast is. Why aren't you listening to them? And and so you know I'm like giant podcast fan now. I love podcasts. Mm-hmm. I probably li- I know that I listen to some every day, um, just it's just part of my normal routine of educating myself. Um, not all safety podcasts, um, but <gasps> I can't well. believe it. I know, right? <laughs> So, Jay, the burning question then is, do you listen to other podcasts that aren't safety related?
0: (laughs) Yes, I do. I listen to quite a few podcasts um, and I listen to a little bit of everything. Uh, I'll tell you, probably some of the stuff that I listen to is things that I find interesting and people are going to be like, you listen to what? I mean, I'll listen to anything related to. Here we go. Yeah, um, you sure. uh, male, uh, male soap opera's uh, version of what we call wrestling. Uh, <laughs> so I'll listen to some of those because those things I find so intriguing, especially if I can find something that's talking about an older wrestling scenario where all these backstories, and I don't know why I find it interesting. There's, uh-huh. there's also one that's called the, Minim- the Minimalist, and that one just really talks about minimalizing everything inside of your life. Um, there's, some, there's some that I listen to that are very popular, but they're not "Quote unquote kid friendly," Um, but I do like those too. Now I have to ask you a strange question. I'm going to kind of go back on the subject a little bit. Yeah. When you decided to, or when they they brought to you better saying the whole scenario of doing the podcast, why did you agree to do the podcast if you weren't number one familiar with it? And how did you feel about doing a podcast starting off? Because if you're not familiar with it, it all of a sudden now you're going to be the face or the voice better saying in this case.
1: Yeah, easy answer. And you just turned back into the interviewer.
0: <laughs> Sorry about um, that. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> this is excellent.
1: It's, uh, well, it's because I love to collect stories. I love to collect stories. I love to tell stories. And when we when we were talking about, you know, how could we make this happen? Um, my marketing director said, Jill, what are you going to make the focus of this podcast? Like you have to have kind of like a theme around it. And I said, well, I, I guess it's. What the leading question, when I meet a safety professional, a fellow safety professional, the first question I always ask them is, how'd you get into it? Because I'm genuinely interested in the story, in the path that led to the career. And, you know, it's, it's always a winding road, as we've established. No two people have the same sort of trajectory to get into it. And it often has something to do with Something that happened and stirred something deep within them at a heart level um, that is also the reason why they stay at it. You know, I mean, just like you've told today, you know, you had this you had this event happen that you became part of with this with this motor vehicle accident. And it really stirred something in you that kind of changed the way you operate. And I bet you still think about that and kind of lean into that. And it's maybe still what drives you to do what you do.
0: I would I would definitely say, sure, I do, because it's it's that story. And of course, as you know, the, the more you're involved with this, the the worst things you see is really how it works out. And it becomes interesting because it becomes part of your presentation on what you give to people. And it's not trying to cause an emotional event or to stir the audience, but it's more along the lines of understand if you put, if you possibly put some things in place, you could avoid this scenario. And it happened to me and I don't want to see it happen to you.
1: Right, absolutely, yeah. Same, same for me. Love it, yeah. So m- my podcast that I listen to that are not safety related, <laughs> I listen to one called The Beautiful Writers. It's all about people who are professional writers, some um, very famous writers, and they talk about their their writing discipline and how they kind of work their craft and when they write and how they write and what resources do they use to write upon? And do they type? Do they use a pencil? Do they use programs? Uh, what time of day do they write? How do they get creative? Where do they come up with their stories? Um, beautiful writers. I follow that one. And, um, a really, uh, intriguing one listen, lately I've been listening to is one called family secrets. It's all about stories as well. And, um, Oh, another one called Masterclass. People telling their stories again. This is the theme. I love listening <laughs> to stories. I love telling stories. So it's all about people telling their stories, and uh, those are some of my some of my favorites.
0: Well, that, that sounds very interesting, especially the one with the, about the writers. Something I probably need to look into, especially down the arena that I've been going through as of late. I want to reference this to you. Somebody told me this recently, and this might be a little bit off subject, so I apologize. But that term, masterclass. Yeah. I was interacting with a very close friend of mine and he was offered to go to a training session or a training seminar and they were calling it masterclass and he would ref- he refused to go because of the titling. Mm. Do you find the titling offensive?
1: I do not only maybe because of the way like this particular one is framed. I get what, I get where that person is coming from because it, there's an assumption with a title. If you look at it just from that perspective that there's a linear path and follow this path, you will become a master. And I guess if maybe if you've lived a little bit of life, we all know that you can be masterful at something and find your own way to become that. And in fact, becoming masterful or being a master of something means that you've really developed it on your own and and it's what's inside of you. And it's not something that you've taken from someone else. Does that make sense?
0: That makes sense. I was just, cause I don't find it offensive, but the way that the person reacted, I was just like, "Hmm." so you mentioned the, you mentioned the title. I said, I'll ask.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, Jade, look at your own career, right? I mean, are you a master at what you're doing? Yes. I would say that you are. And the method that you used to get there, you know, I'm, if I were to draw your path right now, it would be sort of this um, maybe up and down sort of bouncy line um, where you were, you know, you started in one place, you you used all of your resources that you had, whether it was um, uh, using your, your education and developing things um, like the theater of the mind and you, and you found a mentor And then you're like, okay, and I'm going to be a consultant, but then I'm going to dip back into industry and I'm going to practice all these things that I learned. And then I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to gather a bunch more information and I'm going to get back into industry. I'm going to be a consultant. You know, it's just like you kept testing and educating yourself along this path. And it's it's really fun to listen to the story and kind of how you did that uh, entrepreneurially for yourself. your career and i think it's pretty it's pretty remarkable
0: well i appreciate you saying that but i'll tell you i look at it and i go i don't feel myself like a master of anything i still feel that i want to learn as much as possible i try to get as much information as i can day in and day out and i'm always doing some kind of research or studying on maybe a Mm -hmm. subject that i don't understand Mm -hmm. or something new that i can use Mm -hmm. for the consulting service side Mm -hmm. of the business
1: right same same absolutely i think um um (laughs) <laughs> my partner in life has hung this sign in my, in my, uh, in my house one, one day. And he's, he, you know, he said, uh, my name is, you know, it was for me. He wrote it for me. He's like, I'm Jill James. And I'm, he brought in my age at the time. And it says, and I'm just getting started. And that's really, that's really true. So I look at that often and I'm like, yeah, I'm just getting started. I'm, I'm continuing on my path as are you.
0: So how many years have you had to sign up?
1: <laughs> um, you
0: didn't give it age. I I'm think, just asking you a I question. No,
1: no, I'm right. I'm trying to think cuz I've scratched <laughs> out the age and I keep rewriting it and I think I think four times I've rewritten my age on that note. Okay. <laughs> so that happened a couple of years ago. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, right? Anyway, um so Jay, speaking of what's next. Yeah, what iteration of life are you on now? What's next? What's next for you?
0: Well, right now I've been putting a lot of focus on the safety FM network piece in regards to really trying to get in new hosts onto the, onto the network. That way we can have different aspects on there. And what I've really been able to do as of late, which I think is kind of interesting is we're able to go to some of these conferences and we're able to do keynotes and actually have them broadcast on safety FM. So mm-hmm. that's been pretty fun. i um, being able to go out on the road and being able to interact with people and do those keynotes. I don't do the keynotes. I'm saying other people doing the keynotes and yeah. we just air them. Uh, and then and then some of the uh, the other aspects and the people that I get to meet. So I've been doing a lot of that. And then of course the, the standard consulting business uh, as it goes, but it's just interesting seeing the interaction with people and how they're interested in something that originally when it started, I started off in a little room inside of my house. And now it's become this monster that I, I, I I'm more affiliated now to being part of Safety FM than my own name. So I just kind of find it, find it kind of interesting.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's pretty cool. Good for you. Congratulations on that. Well, what a, what an interesting and great career path that continues. And I'm going to have to tune in and listen to some of those keynotes. I'm fascinated by listening to um, people who deliver c- keynote addresses. I love to listen to how people craft messages i'm just as interested in the message as i am in the way that people pull them together
0: right and the interesting part is of course getting that message in front of however many people are or x conference and really being able to relate probably to a good 90 95 percent of people that are in the audience because those are how those things are driven and without doing it without showing any kind of nerves and making it sound authentic every single time you do it. Because I've been to some conferences where the keynote is, you know, I might've been at one and the person was the keynote there and then went to another one and they they were the keynote somewhere else. And it's the same story, but they make it sound like an authentic, original story every time that they present it like it was the first time they ever said it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a gift. That's a gift and it takes absolute practice. And uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's fun to do that. I've had the opportunity to deliver a number of keynotes um in my career and it's it's so fun it's so humbling and you're right the amount of energy that you have to bring to to, to bring it to the audience and understand that they have never heard this before even though you've said the words over and over again and and what it kind of takes to to do that is um yeah it's 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 hard it's work but it also is so rewarding and so fun at the same
0: time. I almost look at it like a comedian out on the road where they're actually going out practicing their craft before they have a major recording that's actually being done. That's yeah. the kind of probably about the best way that I could use as an uh-huh. example, at least in my head, uh-huh. in regards of doing it. And as of late, I've been doing more and more speeches and I noticed that there's an art to the whole thing. And believe me, there's some people that are excellent at it. I won't say that I struggle at it, but it's just one of those things where I'm doing it and I'm just like, this is so different than sitting behind a microphone. Yeah,
1: it, it absolutely isn't art. And maybe Jay, maybe we're gonna have to do a whole podcast just on the art of presenting, right?
0: Well, I, I have a I have a, a really good source that you know, I recently put you in contact with um, that you know she that's what she does. She actually outsources people in regards of doing
1: mm-hmm.
0: doing the actual speeches mm-hmm. and and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And she's a very interesting person because she deals with so many different what I call quote unquote personalities.
1: and and curating that. Yeah. Well, Jay, before we end our time today, I want to make sure since we've mentioned safety FM a number of times, uh, tell our audience um, how to, how to find, how to find the station and the
0: podcast. Well, we have different ways on how you can actually get to us. You can actually come to safetyfm.com. If you want to stream us live, you can go to safetyfm.live. We're also available on the inside of the Apple store under safety FM, which will get you directly into our app and inside of the Google play store. And we're kind of a little bit of everywhere. If you're not sure on where to find us, like I said, safetyfm.com, or you can always come to our Facebook page and we are listed right there in Facebook and you can stream us live right there inside of the Facebook player.
1: Fabulous. Thank you, Jay. It's, it's just so important that we continue to, to help our industry and keep us all together, our little safety industry as you put it um, so that we can all learn from one another and I really appreciate the resource that you're providing and I so appreciate you sharing your story today finally I loved hearing it.
0: Well Julie, I appreciate you having having me on and number one I love what you're doing in regards of the aspect on your how you're doing it and the way that you make people feel when you're doing the interview. It's like having a conversation where they've known you for a while and the way that you bring it up and the whole simple matter of did you become a safety professional by accident just how you start that off it just makes it's just that comfort level on how that interview is going to go going forward Mm,
1: thank you thank you i appreciate it and thank you all so much for joining in and listening today and thank you for the work that you all do to make sure your workers including your temporary workers make it home safe every day Special thanks to Will Moss, our podcast producer. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. On YouTube or on your website or at vividlearningsystems.com. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including if it's yourself, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.
0: No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com Are you tired of not being able to reach the people inside of your organization? What if there's a better approach? What if you could contact them in a click of a button? Here at Safety FM, we can assist you reach your team via podcast. How about setting up a private podcast for just you and your team members? We will cover topics that are important to you and your company. Visit safetyfm.com. That's safetyfm.com. And click on services for more information about your own private podcast. Safety FM, a safety-focused
1: moment venture.